This conference will now be recorded. Hello, good afternoon, and I'm so pleased uh, so many of you have joined us today for our GRN webinar, why it's important to know what's important. Intrigued? Uh, I do hope so. Uh, first of all, a quick introduction uh, from myself. Uh, my name is Dan Hawes, the GRB Group co-founder. Uh, I co-founded the GRB Group back in 1997 after graduating in business studies uh, from Brighton University. And we've now grown to become the go-to platform for high caliber university students, recent graduates, alumni and employers. Uh, we have over 50 staff uh, based in Brighton and we have over 2,000 clients across all sectors, uh, companies such as uh, the biggest like Amazon, IBM, Unilever and Ocado, and also several uh, fast growing SMEs. Our recruitment experts have successfully matched over 8,000 graduates uh, with full-time graduate or executive level jobs. Now, the GRB Group, as it's become, has grown uh, considerably over 25 years. Our main core business is Graduate Recruitment Bureau. So we're a specialist recruitment consultancy um, covering a variety of different sectors, providing contingency uh, and outsourced recruitment. We also have two experienced hire divisions, Cortex and Metrica. Uh, these work with clients who are looking for graduates with up to five years experience, uh, in Cortex's case, uh, in IT experience specifically, and Metrica in data science and analytical fields. So those two are our experienced hire divisions. Uh, we recently launched Graduate Mentor um, in August 2020. Uh, to mitigate the effects of the pandemic, specifically for diverse, underrepresented and disadvantaged groups of students and graduates who are able to use this platform to connect with over 200 mentors and have free one-to-one -one mentoring sessions. If you're interested in becoming a mentor, do contact me later. Uh, we've also launched our Series 4 um, Student Diaries podcast, which is where we interview three students every month and just try and find out what it's like uh, being a student right now. Uh, we're also very active on social media, as you'd imagine. On LinkedIn, we manage several groups. Uh, and we also showcase uh, specific graduating students that we think are exceptional. Um, they're called Rising Stars. And this is just about to launch. And we showcase 50 final year students to recruiters who can have a look at their CVs. And it kind of gives you a, a shop window into the caliber of our talent pool, that's Rising Stars. Uh, student Startup is a social enterprise we launched several years ago, and this is designed to help students who don't necessarily want to uh, work for other employers, but actually start up their own business. So Student Startup is there to support those students as well. And finally, GRN, or Graduate Recruiters Network. So for those who are new uh, today, and there's uh, probably about 40% of you that are new members joining us today, so, so welcome. Uh, I'll give you a very quick overview uh, of GRN. So this was set up back in uh, January 2009, um, initially for our clients, uh, so they could come together and discuss graduate recruitment, early talent, uh, and issues around uh, that. Uh, but we've extended it to uh, other individuals as well. So we have quite a high number of um, career staff who are members of GRN. 
the main aim is to bring HR advisors, uh, HRBP, recruitment managers, directors, early talent leads, that kind of level uh, to discuss current topics uh, and uh, get involved with uh, some of these webinars and hear from some very influential speakers uh, in the world of early talent and graduate recruitment. So the idea is as a member, you get to share best practice in a confidential environment. It's invitation only. Uh, and ultimately it'll enhance your learning and help you become even better graduate recruiters. Um, we have over 3000 members um, uh, and recently we uh, just onboarded another 32 members. So we're delighted uh, to welcome them today. Now membership is, is very mixed. Um, there are a lot of FTSE 100 recruiters uh, in our membership, but also a huge number of fast growing SMEs. Um, they're all involved in recruiting high caliber uh, students and graduates. So they all share the same uh, purpose. So we're delighted to have a nice broad sector from all over the UK uh, within the group. Uh, as a member, you'll receive invites to these webinars, other special events, access to our LinkedIn forum, uh, our blog, uh, various surveys, and also a quarterly newsletter. There are extra benefits for VIP members for only £299 per year. Um, more information uh, is available if you need it. Uh, just drop me a line. So there's a uh, quick overview uh, about uh, GRN that's been in existence for, for well over 10 years now. So who's in the room? Uh, well, as I mentioned, we have uh, a broad range of companies representing sectors such as e-commerce, publishing, marketing, engineering, um, to name but a few. But the actual job titles I just put into a word cloud just to give you an idea who, who's in the room. And most of you are HR managers um, involved with recruitment, employability, um, European recruitment in some cases, um, but all uh, involved in, in early talent uh, or graduate recruitment. So that just gives you an idea of uh, who's uh, in attendance today. So uh, the agenda, very, very shortly, we'll kick off with our lovely speaker, Alex Covey, um, who will talk about why it's important to know what's important. So she's a leading HR expert on the subject of culture, engagement, and employee experience in a changing world. Uh, you'll be able to have uh, key takeaways on the latest developments uh, from the last 12 months and how your role can play a major part in employee experience for your early talent. Now, there will be the opportunity to ask questions to Alex. Now, use the, the chat facility um, on the platform. I'll be keeping an eye on those and uh, at around 10 past one, uh, we'll put those questions to Alex. Uh, I've also got a few as well I'd, I'd quite like to uh, run by her. So throughout the course of this uh, webinar, do feel free to use the chat facility and put your questions in there. Um, and then around 1.30, uh, we'll uh, cover any other business, uh, let you know when our next webinar is uh, and we'll close and we'll, and we'll let you crack on. So um, our speaker, Alex. Um, she is the people and culture partner at Tessient. Now you may have um, may know her, you may have seen her speak at other events such as CIPD. Um, she's an engaging and influential HR and organizational development director with expertise in developing high performance cultures and delivery of transformational people change. She's bringing 20 years experience in senior HR roles to deliver commercial and pragmatic solutions. Alex, I'm going to make you the presenter. 
and uh, hand over the reins to you. Thank you, Dan. And the first thing that you will notice is my inability to multitask whilst I'm trying to share a screen <laughs> or talk about anything else. Okay. So is that okay for people in terms of size? Yeah. That okay. So, great. Thank you, Annie. Lovely. Great. Thank, thanks ever so much. Um, and yeah, when Dan and I first started um, talking about this, it was it was actually on the back of a um, a talk I'd done at the CIPD annual conference, which was about connecting employee experience to performance and actually how do you measure the value of your employee experience. And and when when you started to ask about the content um, and whether it would be relevant um, for graduate recruitment network, I had a bit of a um, God, I can remember the points I've been making, but I'm sure it's not going to be relevant because it just feels like everything's changed over the course of the last 12, 18 months. So, you know, maybe I'll leave it and come back with something different. But I still went and had a quick flick through um, at what I delivered. And, and I thought, actually, it throws up some really interesting questions from a culture and from an engagement perspective about the what now. So what I'm actually going to do is run through that presentation as was, and it was a very particular style. It was 20 slides in five minutes flat. I'm not sure I can do it quite as quickly as I did on the day, but very kind of information packed. Um, so run through that and then come back and kind of say, well, actually, what do I think is still relevant? What are the key takeaways on those developments over the last 12 months or so? Um, and how can you as predominantly talent acquisition, talent management professionals play a key role um, in that part of the future. Um, so I am going to talk about um, employee experience. Just there we go. Okay, um, but it could equally be applicable to your EVP um, and why, when you're thinking about this, it's really important to know what is important. So. I think, you know, there's been a significant shift over the last few decades in how we think about employee experience. If you go back to the 1980s, which I'm sure no one else is old enough to remember, but if you go back to the 1980s, you couldn't even say employee experience. I just don't think anybody would know what you were talking about. It was actually a lot of the focus was about how do you build a business case for engagement? How do you persuade your senior teams that there's a cost or benefit analysis there? And then if you fast forward to now or 18 months ago, I, I just think, you know, it's a completely different world. You know, work has truly moved beyond the workplace. We've ended up being responsible for people's well-being, you know, and their psychological safety, their mental health. And it's no longer about work-life balance. It's lifestyle and, and how I want to work. To a point where it almost feels like we've now got a blind faith in the value of employee experience. You know, there's a whole industry, sets of industries have popped up with ready-made solutions for us. Um, and we compare and we compete our offerings with, with each other. Um, and, and it makes me wonder if we've lost sight of whether our choices are actually increasing performance for the company, you know, whether they're creating the right organization. Because to create the right organization, you need to know you know, what's our purpose here? What do we stand for as a company and as a brand? Because if you're not clear on that, it kind of doesn't matter what you do with your employee experience or your EVP. You might as well just follow best practice, best practice and your engagement will probably go up. You just won't necessarily be improving your performance with it or growing your company brand. 
So that first job is getting clear on what's your vision as a company? What does your external brand stand for with your customers, the promises you're making to them? And what is that internal brand or culture that you're looking to create? And much more importantly, how aligned are they? Are they all saying the same thing? Because alignment, that alignment piece, is how effective performance cultures are built. It's that effortlessness. No one's got to work hard mentally to work out what's what. And that, that's what should be flowing through into your employee experience. You know, if you take an example here, like a really basic bike to work scheme and just start to think through how it lands, you know, if you're working for Greenpeace, that's potentially quite intuitive for you. You know, people can easily connect that with environmental concerns, etc. If you're working for Uber and, and we're all um, about taxis or real time convenient transport, however you want to view it, and you kind of want me to ride a bike, I can probably get there, but it's a little bit more of a stretch versus Shell. You know, maybe th th this just feels like it's on the wrong scale, that it is too insignificant in, in the context. So it's just about how the same initiative can reinforce your company purpose or it can kind of leave people thinking, what? I, I, I don't get this. Um, so what, what does it look like when companies do get things aligned? And again, this might be a bit dated now, but Airbnb with a very strong campaign and very strong purpose around their belong everywhere and and i think you know at that time they did a really good job of creating a really nice matched employee experience you know everything connected up this one a beer company which made everything about sociability um you know that you should be talking to people at work like you would talk to people in a pub because that's what we're about we're about that sociability we're not like an office-based um company um a company that gave beer training to absolutely everybody regardless of the role so that they could talk with expertise but in their own language in that sociable way to people that they met and be real brand ambassadors it really went that kind of matching what it stood for so we're talking about employee experience. Where's engagement in all this? Is it the same thing, you know, or has employee experience replaced it? I kind of don't, I don't think so. I think you play your engagement in, in two ways. So first up for me is making sure that you know what the biggest influencers on engagement in your company are and that you build those into your employee experience. Um, the second one is that you, you're using your engagement survey to measure how well that employee experience is doing and what value you're delivering, which is probably easier said than done. But how, how do you go about it? You can either set yourself up a dashboard or imagine yourself a dashboard and, and kind of think this through. So first up for me is separating out the drivers of engagement in your survey because they contain a lot of information and they're not all drivers of engagement so these are the things that are the common needs the things that most employees whether they're prospective employees whether they're current employees need you to provide in order to feel engaged you know and the categories in your survey might be different but i'm sure you're recognizing the types of words there and there'll be similar things within your own surveys and the thing to bear in mind is that those engagement drivers are different to engagement outcomes. So 
when those drivers are in place, people feel the influence, the support, etc. I, I feel supported, I feel I have influence, my opinion matters, then you get engagement outcomes. So people feel engaged and they behave in an engaged way. And not all of those drivers are equal. So you also need to start thinking about the size of influence that your drivers are having on your engagement outcomes. And by the way, you don't need to do this. Your engagement provider can do it for you. That they're, they're there to provide that information. But what you might find out, for example, is that support as an engagement driver, the amount of support that people feel, is driving your engagement far more strongly than anything else. You might actually have a higher score in influence but it's not driving your engagement in the same degree. So this thing stops being about high and low scores, and it's about how do you get the greatest impact, the best value, where do you place your attention to make sure that you're getting the best value for, for, for what you're doing? gets very busy now okay so you what then what you're thinking about this is this connection to performance how do you take your dashboard a stage further and check that your engagement's flowing through so can you see a link between your increase in engagement and a change in performance and those might be financial measures customer mps it might be operational kpis it's the things that are important um, to your organization from a performance point of view now we've got to start bringing all this stuff together and this starts to talk very much into that EVP and the cultural piece is because you don't just want engaged employees. You want employees who are engaged with something. You know, it's that alignment, it's that congruence that we talked about. And what is it that we want people engaged with? We're right back here. We want them engaged with who you are and what you stand for. Have you got that simple joined up narrative? Because an effective culture is one which makes it easy or intuitive for employees to do the right thing or to be able to perform in the desired way without having to think about it too much. So now we're going to you connect it all up. So you've done the work, you, you know um, what you stand for and you're using your dashboard to find those key drivers. What are the biggest influence on your engagement? And you're thinking through, how do I build those through into my employee experience in the how we do stuff? And then I'm gonna be measuring to see, um, is it having that impact through onto performance? So you're taking that and sticking it basically in a plan, which becomes that kind of employee experience thing. So for each of those employee touch points, how can you think through what aspect of the brand or purpose am I playing to here? What, what's my aim? What am I trying to do? How am I trying to make that connection? What's the activity or the initiative or whatever it is that I think is going to deliver it? And which of those enablers or those drivers am I dialing up in how I deliver it? And how will I measure it? it it, it kind of, in some ways, when it looks down like that, it looks a little bit complicated. But when you get into the spirit of that, that, that just okay, what am I doing? Why? What's it connected to? What's the activity? And do I want to dial up the way I do this with support? Or is it about giving a greater level of clarity? Or is it about kind of the, the growth and development, the, the things that matter to your organization? So basically, you're getting clear on what we stand for, 
you've got this aligned vision, the external, the internal brand, and you're shaping your employee experience around that brand purpose and around those key engagement drivers. And in, in effect, it's just a repeating circle. You're measuring the impact on your dashboard. You're tweaking things that work and don't work. You're refreshing, you're going again. You're finding it's different for different groups of people. So you're starting to kind of get categories of employees that things work for. Okay. So, that that was the the kind of quick five minute thing that I did at um, um, the the CIPD and, and when I looked back at that again with fresh eyes and was trying to think about today's context, I think I was drawn back to a couple of things. So the first one was this one around congruence or alignment, and and to me it's still really really relevant to the context we're operating. If you think right now about your organization's external brand and how you choose to show up in, in your chosen market. You know, am I, am I Apple and I want to wow you with my technology and style? Um, am I the NHS, which we might not see as a brand, but, but is, and everybody had expectations of care and safety. What, what is that kind of chosen market and how you choose to, to show up? You've got your strategy and priorities. So what are the things that your organization has chosen to work on or deliver or prioritize? And that kind of internal culture or EVP. So how do you choose to set yourself up as an organization so that collectively people are most likely to deliver on those intended results? And, and when you think about it like that in the context, you can see the challenge that COVID has, has brought us and why we're in a difficult situation, because how do you navigate when the intended outcomes have basically all been changing and chopping and changing and probably still will continue to? So for anybody who had a financial budget or a target, I bet it became a real moot point over the last financial year. You, you want to open 80 new stores or run with 70% occupancy in your hotel as a kind of priority. I bet this kind of all went out the window. You know, could you even reach your customers, let alone deliver that brand promise? And now I suspect you're reaching them in very different ways and their expectations have completely changed. So that external brand piece is changing. Um, your employees or, or even those kind of potential new ones coming in have had an experience like no other, you know, whether that's been locked down or working on the front line in kind of unimaginable circumstances, whether it's furlough, whether it's their, their role disappearing completely. What's important to them has probably changed quite a lot. So it's a very different question about what do we anchor ourselves in and practice around when these parts um, are moving. And I think there's that kind of almost that permission to pause and rethink your context right now, what's still important, you know, has your brand or your market position changed? What are your priorities now? And what does that mean for your culture with that kind of employee experience? Are there things that must change? Are there things that are staying the same? Because if you can describe that culture that you want or aspire to and the employee experience, I think the questions that you get to are, does it need to play out in the same way for all employees? Or are you more in that space of saying, look, the broad aim remains the same, but we'll achieve it very differently for different locations, work styles, work patterns. So your question becomes not how do we deliver our, our, our desired employee experience, but how do we bring our desired employee experience to life in every single context that we've got going on? You know, those fixed times and places that we used to have have kind of gone and we just need to live with that. The other thing that I came back to was those engagement drivers. 
Um, so remember I was kind of saying that they're the things that people typically need to have in place in order to feel engaged. Um, and I said earlier that you, um, you know, make sure you know what your biggest influencers on engagement are and pay attention to them because that's how you drive value. And I think that that throws up two very um, pertinent challenges at the moment, which is have those drivers changed because of the experiences that people have had? Okay, or what they see as the new possibility of work, or indeed their very natural preference. So information that you may have had about what you thought was an experience, a good employee experience and, and how to engage people, has that changed? Has people got different needs? And secondly, if that is the case, how do we pay attention to those needs or deliver them across multiple different contexts and different people, whether that's kind of remote, hybrid, office site, millennial, Gen X, baby boomers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't actually think that this is a different conundrum to before the pandemic. I just think that what's happened is more people than usual have changed more significantly than before, all at the same time, and they're all landing on a very kind of different context. Having said that, I think that those engagement drivers have, have stood the test of time, and I don't think what they are will fundamentally change. It's just that the prominence that is placed on some of them might have changed. So, for example, might support become more important? And what does support look like remotely how do you fulfill it with your manager or with your team what does it feel like when you start a company but you don't get to kind of meet those people um, how would i express to people the level of support they're going to get in an attraction um, in, a, in a kind of how I, I attract people to the organization i think influence is on there you know how how do i achieve a sense of influence if i enter an organization and i don't meet people in real life and how can you help people with that through their onboarding um, and how they come through okay and that kind of have we potentially got a bit of a chicken and egg situation going on here so are employees or potential employees with particular natural preferences choosing work styles that might match that so are introverts predominantly choosing to work away from the office and i'm being very very generic here and are extroverts needing the energy from people and they're not getting that remotely and what would it mean if each group or each type begins to um inhabit or operate in greater density in each of these worlds do you end up with a, a really strong impact on your culture over time and what do your new recruits see whether they enter a kind of physical workforce or a virtual workforce that that kind of exacerbation of it i think what's probably obviously more important to you is you know what are the solutions to this um, and i think it would be you know everyone would like to have a really nice quick fix or be told what best practice is um, I suspect there are many decisions that simply need making and making quickly that, that you will need to make. But I also think, you know, think about the time and effort that you put into employee experience before COVID and don't be harsh on yourself that you're not able to get to this perfect place within within a few weeks or so. You know, how you need to reach people and who you need to reach is changing. And, and I had in my head it was a bit like switching from just having BBC and ITV as TV channels, I'm back to the 1980s and my age here, to this world of multi-channels and streaming and in effect it being there for people to access how and, and where they want, you know, that is going to take a long time to play out. What I do think we can do more immediately is um, 
again, I'm kind of thinking about the one of those old fashioned telephone exchanges, you know, when I'm, I'm very old fashioned, we can see where you have you kind of you connecting people literally by wires. So can I work out where you're coming from as a potential new talent or an existing talent? and where I want to get you to, and how do I connect those with an employee journey? It becomes much more customised rather than one size fits all. So stepping back, I think this is about sense checking that triangle. You know, are we clear what's important to us as a company right now? Okay. It's about having a really good handle on what the important things are for individuals or groups of individuals, employees. So these kind of engagement drivers or whatever other information you have and has that changed? And how do we plot the course for people, that telephone exchange? Where are people now based on all their experiences and their preferences? Where are we looking to get them and how do we move them across? What's the balance we get in there? Okay. Um, and, and very lastly, you will, you'll have already gathered from the kind of the way I've been speaking in the examples. I'm not in any way a talent um, acquisition or recruitment expert. I tend to be more in that kind of um, in the organisation. But my thoughts on that kind of what might it mean? What are some of the questions from a, a talent acquisition perspective um, were number one? Can you move understanding of those engagement drivers further up the line, by which I guess I mean into the attraction and the selection processes? Because in that space, what you become is a really strong source of data and insight for the organisation, both about the market, but actually about that starting position as people come in. And if you're going to customise, that becomes very important. Um, if you do know what those preferences and those engagements of your talent are, can you do that telephone exchange thing? Can you think about how you plot a way through that, um, that onboarding? Um, it becomes relatively customised for people. So your onboarding and your employee experience, we're not relying on what we did know, we're trying to take people through um, forward. The, the follow the crowd piece, um, I've spoken a lot with a lot of, of, of HR professionals and actually what we heard around that kind of re-entry point where people were thinking about how they were bringing people back into the organisation was this kind of, you know, what are you doing? Are you working remotely? How many days are you offering people? And it, and it just struck me that it felt like the wrong question. And it's for me, it's really at the heart of this. Why is it important to know what's important? So we don't just ask, what are you doing? And should our new graduates have five weeks in the office before we put them remotely? What we ask is, given who we are and what we want to deliver and who this individual is, what works best for us? Not, not for anybody else, but for us. And that you, you know, by doing that, you end up really focusing on the unique experience you want to provide for your organisation as opposed to following the crowd. Um, and I think very finally, everything is changing, you know, and we are definitely not working in stable, predictable worlds. We don't have that pleasure of kind of what we planned for in the past will be relevant in the future. But it's also a very exciting role to be in if you can get yourself on the front foot in that talent space. If you are getting that data that we've talked about, that insight about kind of the, the preferences and how the journey might happen and how that feeds in, your role becomes as much about defining the employee experience of that kind of top of the funnel and the employee journeys, as well as the selling. And I don't mean selling, but that kind of the attraction to a steady state. Um, and I think that's just really quite an interesting place to be as a, as a talent professional. 
Well, that I think was as much um, as I was going to say on all that. So back over to you, Dan, if that's okay. Absolutely. Thank you very much, uh, Alex, for that. And you've covered a lot uh, in a short space of time. And um, I mean, I've got a few takeaways from that myself. Um, and, and also, having sp spoken to uh, lots of members recently, um, you know, the war for talent is is back on most definitely for uh, exceptional graduates and it's been covered in the uh, the FT most recently so things like employee experience and what you can offer graduates to set you apart from your competitors is is really key um what i found uh, particularly interesting was the the way you we, we talked about introverts and extroverts uh, basically you know different personality types within an organization and how it is very hard to do one size fits all it's almost impossible um but especially with uh, graduates now who are joining companies they they really want to be in the office they want to have um that that connection with with other new starters they want to uh, be able to speak to their line manager learn by observation and have these water cooler moments or 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 just general non-work chat, really, really important for an organization's culture to be absorbed in that way. Um, and working remotely is, is very, very tricky. But you know, I'm interested to know if you've seen any um, situations where that they've managed to bridge that gap. I mean, there were organizations before the pandemic with um, employees working remotely. So someone has done it successfully. Um, so, so my first question is, have you seen any good examples of um, enabling new starters to absorb the co company culture remotely as best as possible using technology? I mean, you, you kind of referenced there, Dan, that um, there were companies doing it remotely. And I think it's important yeah. to see the difference between remote and hybrid, because actually, there is I think the difficulty comes in the multiple channels that you you need to try and um, manage so when it is all remote actually what you do is say this is the mechanic by which we need to deliver our employee experience and I think some of either the um, the technology that's available to do that or how you rethink your working patterns and um, what that means narrows and that therefore it's easier to put your focus in that place what's quite difficult is when you have a hybrid in which some people might be working wholly remote some people might be in and what you know about the offices the office isn't the office anymore because people are now intermittently in and doing diff yeah. different things um so that it kind of it doesn't it doesn't answer your question but it, it does go into the I, I i do think about that bbc itv versus streaming mm -hmm. and that that whole thing of we just need to get our heads around i think we're going to have to look at the customization and that is, isn't going to come amazingly quickly and, and rapidly in that in that way um and don't beat yourself up about it but what are the things that feel most pressing at the moment? It's a complete avoidance of the um, uh, the actual <laughs> question, Dan, but that's what you've got. <laughs> yep, lovely. Okay, well, um, your employee journeys slide kind of um, covered that, where you, you really need to understand if drivers have changed and adapt accordingly. So, you know, it's different for all sorts of organizations. I mean, especially for organizations that are retail or FMCG, where their actual employees could also be customers, 
you know, it's all wrapped up um, in that brand and their um, their culture and the way of doing things that um, becomes kind of second nature maybe to those to those kind of firms, I, I guess. Um, whereas with with smaller firms, it, it might be easier to manage. You have a more sort of intimate knowledge of your team, what they like, uh, what works. Um, so you know, it really does depend. But your um, your slides give very very useful uh, templates. I noticed very early on you had uh, a few templates that people can take away uh, and apply to their own situation. Um, I do have one question that's come in to me. Um, specifically about influencers, which is something I noted um, early on in your presentation about using internal influencers within your organization to kind of um, get the message out. Uh, the question is, you know, how do you choose that individual when there are so many different types of groups within your organization? How do you, do you choose several influencers? Do you choose one or do you have the CEO or the MD as the, the influencer or how do, um, the question was um, around I'm, that, how do you choose it? Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking slightly puzzled because um, I think when, I'm, when I was referring to influencers, it was about um, which of those engagement drivers are having the greatest influence on your outcome. So um, as opposed to individuals. So for example, you may have a group of people who um, you almost, well, on a step back, you know, when you kind of think about personality um, questionnaires, so you mm. you can do the MBTI or you can do your, your insight and there's never any right or wrong answer. There's just different profiles. Think about engagement like that, which is, you know, there's probably 10 or 12 key drivers, enablers that influence your, your outcome. And we, we had a look at them in terms of the clarity, the amount of influence that you have in an organization or the amount of support you feel or the amount of trust, et cetera, et cetera. And what's important for people, they will rank them in different ways. So what their own personal importance is. So you've got this difficulty where you're trying to appeal to that. But if you're looking at a larger scale, you do end up saying, when I look at all our employees in a big 10,000 um, size organization it turns out that these three ones so let's say people having a sense of clarity people feeling um, influence and being supported when we get the survey provider to do the little bit of analysis and they show us that that's driving engagement beyond all else so what I'm saying is you take the data and then put your attention into how do I keep driving the level of support people are feeling if I apply that to the COVID world then I'm thinking right how do I provide support to people when they're working remotely versus these who are working in our warehouse over here versus these who are intermittently in and out of the office so I might need to now move away from a one-size-fits-all to slightly um, broadening that out I think your further complication comes when you've talked about the size of organizations is of course we're looking at averages so you take 10,000 people and I'm basically telling you that this is in everybody producing the best result but you'll get into subgroups of types of styles and people where they've got quite different profiles and you need to work very very differently so there's always a balance for me of um, you, you can't get it down right to an individual. Maybe you can in an organization of 10, 20, 30 people. Yeah. But the, the larger the organization, you're always trying to get that balance, aren't you, between what what's how do I have the greatest impact? And the greatest impact will be following these kind of seven or eight profiles of, of employees of which 80% of our employees fit into a profile that is roughly like that. And I'm, I'm therefore trying to channel my time down there because if I chase every single employee, um, you know, my job is is never ever going to be finished, and you get to a point of diminishing returns as well. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. It does depend on the size of the company, but like you say, you can run these surveys and you can break it down by individuals and kind of come at it from a marketing point of view, understanding the arg uh, the audience, and then targeting them with appropriate um, uh, messages and and um, and projects. So that's that's useful. And 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 I've spoken to a few members recently, and um, obviously mental health and well-being has increased in importance with uh, especially with graduates working remotely and struggling and feeling isolated um, and I'm guessing you, you've had ex experience of working with organizations who've run these programs successfully you know beyond just having a, a meditation or a yoga class they've actually come up with something very very concrete that, that has been successful um, can you put any light on that? Any sort of well well-being or um, uh, mental health schemes that have worked? Um, I, I think, as 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 with anything, I, it, it's a um, how how far back do you come? So, do you treat the symptom? I'll get this wrong way around, but you know what I'm thinking. Do I treat the symptom or do mm. I treat the the cause? So, I've seen. Um, things that land very well alongside the the meditation the kind of the well-being apps that allow people a slightly more personalized journey that help people be more conscious and treat that i also just think there's an interesting thing to look at of if you meet some of the more fundamental needs of employees and i'm not saying engagement is the only way to look at those those drivers i'm using them as a convenient example at the moment that if you're able to fulfill those in the right balance for people do they in themselves support people's sense of well-being and their mental health because they are receiving some you know i have this level of trust with people i feel supported um i feel that i'm growing and i have purpose in my role that actually that in itself is a um a mediator for um well-being and, and mental health um but honestly the, the a lot of the stuff that has come out with mental health um first aiders with ambassadors with actually just the ability to have open conversations even what you can see in media i think it all helps and progresses that kind of multifaceted um approach to it yeah yeah absolutely thank you um we can all agree that the the ground has shifted considerably and um ex employee experience has certainly increased in um, its level of importance within organizations to not only um, recruit new people but retain them um, so you know it feeds right through from the minute and they see your job advert uh, right through to who they meet and um, their experience through the training program and beyond so it's kind of all-encompassing um, and we're we're speaking to lots of uh, graduate recruiters now who who need uh, advice on this so um we will be um, putting uh, some questions on our LinkedIn forum to you, Alex, um, uh, over the next 24 hours, if you can make yourself uh, available for any members who um, perhaps couldn't attend today, or maybe if you've got a question, um, do feel free to, to join our LinkedIn um, forum. Um, We'll be posting on that shortly, and Alex will be available to answer any of your questions on there. Um, before we finish, I'd like to thank Alex for your time in presenting um, today. And um, if you can make yourself available on the, on the LinkedIn forum, that'd be wonderful for some of our members. Um, if you do want to go through um, the previous um, presentations we've had, we, we do record all of them and we put them on our 
uh, YouTube channel. Uh, they're all there uh, covering a variety of different subjects uh, within early talent and graduate recruitment. And I'll upload this recording um, within the next day or so. Our next event is on Wednesday, the 10th of November. Um, we have a speaker who's going to be talking about neurodiversity. So 10th of November, 12.30 to 1.30. If you uh, can keep your diary free, we'd love to have you along uh, for our next webinar. Uh, so once again, thank you to Alex and for all of you joining us uh, this lunchtime. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.